I pray that you would speak to us today about our identity in Christ. Lord, you said that we are a new creation. God, remind us of how good it is to be a new creation formed by your hand. Thank you for this time, Lord. Speak to us. Do what only you can do. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's read from Luke 17, uh, uh, chapter 17, verses 5 through 10. It says this. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. Exclamation point. Oh, it's not up there. You can't see it. Okay. Well, there's an exclamation point in mine. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. And the Lord said, if you had faith like a grain of a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted. So this is kind of weird. Has anyone ever talked to a tree? (laughs) If you had faith as a grain of a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea and it would Obey you. Will any of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he has come in from the field, come at once, recline at the table? Will he not rather say to him, prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink and afterward you will eat and drink? Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. We are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. So today I'm preaching good news. Woo, I like that. Today I'm preaching good news. Today I'm preaching that if you are in Christ, that part of your identity, part of your makeup, part of who you are is a servant. A servant of Jesus. That is now part of how Jesus wants his followers to identify themselves. And because of that, say with me, I am a servant. Let's try this one. I am an unworthy servant. How does that feel? It's not every day that I start off with that. What if someone walked up to you and said, hey, who are you? Oh, I'm a servant named Kenny. <laughs> or, or the infamous job interview question, you know, the first one when you sit down and you're all dressed up nice. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I'm an unworthy servant and I study biology at the University of Arkansas. <laughs> we don't really always jump at Claiming servanthood as an identity, as who we are. We don't always, and check me if I'm wrong, but I don't always jump over other people for opportunities to serve someone else. We're not always jumping over those opportunities to lay down our schedules and put away what we were planning and serve someone else's needs. We don't always primarily think that one of the things that defines us at the core is being a servant. And actually, sometimes it sounds like bad news. A lot of times it sounds like bad news. It sounds inferior. It sounds less than. It sounds not equal to. It sounds like what we don't want in our leadership culture. Everyone wants to be a leader, not everyone wants to be a servant. And the better leader you are, the more people you'll have serving you. A lot of times is how we think about it. But Jesus said that his followers should take on the mindset of an unworthy servant who has only done our duty. And for us to be servants, the way that Jesus says right here is really, 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 really good news for your soul. It's really good news and it's such good news that Jesus makes an identity statement about it, that it's part of our identity in Christ, that that's something that Jesus purchased for us and won for us and gave to us with the cross, that he was willing to die so that we could call ourselves servants. That's how good it is. 
He died so we could identify ourselves as servants and find joy and true life in it. He gave us that identity. A few weeks ago, I went to uh, Big Sur, California, right before the new year. Anyone ever been up there? Okay, awesome. So you guys, you guys know what I'm talking about now. <laughs> that place is, I don't know, is the picture up? No, the picture's not up yet. The place is gorgeous. If you haven't been there, that's McWay Falls. That's a waterfall into the ocean. You don't see that every day. But um, it's just beautiful. I went up there for a few days after Christmas, before New Year's, just to clear my mind, be in the wilderness for a bit. It's majestic. It's grandiose. It's beautiful. If, you, if you're there, the newspaper says, Big Sur, the greatest meeting of land and sea. And the famous author, Henry Miller, said, Big Sur is the face of creation as God intended it to be. It's a little arrogant, according to just one little piece. But yes, it's amazing. It's beautiful. And when you're there, it's, there's just these huge rocks, and there's redwoods, and there's cliffs, and leading into the ocean, and there's whales, and waterfalls, and winding roads, and beaches, and... There's so much beauty that it just, you get out there for a little bit and it just speaks to you. You ever experienced that when you're out in, out in the wild, out in nature? It just, something about it, you, you settle down from all the hustle and bustle of your job. You forget that it's there and you're just so overwhelmed with being in nature that there's this, there's this sense of perspective that it's just here. It just exists and it's calming and we get to see a glimpse of God's glory in that. And has anyone ever... You know what I'm talking about? You get out there and it's like you see the world differently. And you're like, why have I been so stressed out? Like, this is awesome. This whole like life thing. I get to be alive and there's things this beautiful, you know, been surrounded by concrete back in the city. You know, kind of feel like you're missing out. And um, anyways, while I was there, I was experiencing that. But I had this kind of epiphany of sorts where I just realized that Big Sur is there. And it's existing in all its beauty, whether I'm there to experience it or not. Does that make sense? So whether I'm there in the middle of it and I've made the trip to go out there and be there and rest and have that calming perspective and and bring back perspective to my life, it's existing whether I'm there or whether I'm at my job and I'm pushing paper and I'm stressed out and I've forgotten about how beautiful it is. I've forgotten about this beautiful, amazing world that God has created for us and given us everything we need. But when I remembered that it is there, I can experience that perspective whether I'm there or not. Does that make sense? Like now in the weeks since, when I get too stressed out, I just kind of remember like, wait... The same planet that I'm on now has that on it too, and it's beautiful. And that is a picture of our identity in Christ. That it's a beautiful gift that God has given us. 2 Corinthians 5 says, like Tom talked about last week, that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. What God has done for us on the cross, he saved us and he's given us this gift of a new identity that we couldn't earn. And it's who we are made to be. And it remains true whether we walk in it or not. Does it make sense? Sometimes we're reminded and we have that perspective and it changes us. And then other times we forget about it, don't we? But it's a beautiful gift, and it's true, and it remains true, whether we're letting it change us, whether we're letting it uh, give us a glimpse of God's glory. And I'm convinced that as Christians, all too often, we have this beautiful gift of our identity in Christ, and we're over here busy and stressed, and we've forgotten. Just like the last song we sang, it was a beautiful confession of, we haven't known you as we ought, we haven't sought your presence as we could, but if only if we did. How amazing. How life-changing. Amen? Amen. So today we're talking about one aspect of our identity in Christ, and that is our identity as servants. And the main point today is that serving Jesus is more about who we are in Christ than what we can do for Christ. Serving Jesus is more about who we are than in Christ than what we can do for Christ. And usually we hear serve and we think 
do. Does that resonate? I do that all the time. When I think about serving Jesus, I think about me and what I can do. I don't always think done. I don't always think be. This is who Christ has made me to be. We were served by Jesus to be saved, and we are saved to be servants. So the rest of this message, um, I want to talk about that. I want to talk about how we are servants of Jesus, how we have been served by Jesus, and how we can serve Jesus. Everyone got that? Does this help? (laughs) How we are servants of Jesus, how we have been served by Jesus, and how we can serve Jesus. So let's look again at that passage, if you still have Luke 17 open. The disciples, the apostles say to Jesus, increase our faith. And Jesus makes that point about the tree. He says, even if you had a little bitty, itty bitty tiny amount of faith, The amount of faith is not what's important. The amount of faith that you have is not important. What is important is the faith that you have, is it being put to use? Is it being utilized? They say, give us more faith. And he says, just work with this. (laughs) Work with this. And then immediately, so he makes this point of like, it's not how much faith you have. The faith that you do have, regardless of how much it is, are you putting it to use? And then immediately he goes into this story about what? About serving. Immediately he goes into the story of something that is the epitome of our faith in action, which is serving. They say increase our faith. He says, you don't need more faith. You need to put it to use. And let me tell you about how. There's a link here. When we have true faith in the gospel of Jesus, we will see ourselves, like Jesus said, as as unworthy servants. When we really believe the gospel, we're going to see ourselves with that identity as unworthy servants. And we're going to look for ways to serve Jesus by serving others. Does that make sense? But sometimes, like we said earlier, serving sounds like bad news. It doesn't sound like something we want to jump Towards And why is that? Actually, I want to open that up to dialogue real quick. Why do you think we don't always get real excited about this part of Jesus' teaching? Okay, we're selfish. That's admitting it. That's just jumping to the core right there. Yeah. What's that? It does sound like hard work for someone else. Right? A lot of us aren't afraid of hard work if it's for our own thing, right? Yeah. Sounds like hard work for someone else. Yeah. I already feel stressed out. Yeah. Time. Not enough time. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, so maybe some fears that it won't be done right. Yeah. Yep. Laying me down to do what someone else wants. Yeah, I think I think if we're all honest, there's some people in here that are going to be more given towards serving. There's some people that I see it. It's just like part of their makeup. They love it and it makes them come alive. And then there's other people, myself included, that that's not the thing that just lights me up all the time. I don't always hear, you know, we're a servant of Jesus and all of a sudden, I'm just like, yeah. <laughs> and the reason I think, because really, if my faith is being put to use, if my faith is in the gospel of Jesus, and in those moments where it truly is, I do see myself as an unworthy servant. But in those moments when it's not, it's because my faith is in something else. And I think there's a lot of traps that we fall into. But the two I kind of want to uh, look at today or focus in on is the two main traps. The first one is... Not that I'm an unworthy servant who can only do my duty, but that I'm a king in my own little world and I'm looking for servants to do my bidding. And then the other one is that I'm a servant, but I'm busy trying to keep score and maintain a record of all that I've served and how much God might owe me for that. 
So there's the king looking for servants, and then there's the servant who's busy keeping score. For the king, and I think we all struggle with these at different times in our lives, and you may have a tendency more towards one or the other, but for the, for the king, we're busy building the life we've dreamed of. And serving others usually gets in the way of that, right? Because we have our goals, we have our plan, we have what we're going to do. We have this five years and then the next ten years. And then by this time, I hope that this happens. And when a need arises, I don't want to serve because that pulls me away from what I'm doing. And actually, we begin to look at other people in our lives, not just as children of God, but we begin to value people depending on how much they can help our purposes and serve our many kingdoms. Right. And we begin to build up life and take advantage of people because we have this mindset, not that we're an unworthy servant, but that we have a little kingdom to maintain and that we need servants to help that work. I think of the rich young ruler in Scripture who came to Jesus and said, what can I have to enter eternal life? And Jesus said, keep all the commandments. He's like, I've done that. And then I'm paraphrasing really quickly. (laughs) But then he says, sell all you have and give to the poor and come and follow me. And the rich young ruler wanted eternal life, but he left sad. He left hanging his head in sorrow because he was too attached to his own little kingdom to give it up and find true life with Jesus. We're busy pursuing the life we desire and serving others falls by the wayside. Our schedules get inflexible. We don't adjust to others' needs. We see opportunities to serve as an inconvenience. Or maybe a waste of time. Can't they get someone else to do that? We make excuses not to serve our brothers and sisters. We see the needs in our neighborhood as burdens for other people to handle or distractions from our priorities, which is our mini kingdom. We're busy and we don't have time to serve because we may not realize that we're serving our own dreams and we're serving our own kingdom. In that way, we're not looking to serve. We're looking for servants. Our faith is in that ability to to build what we're looking for. So that's on the one side. But what about on the other side? What about the servant who's busy keeping score? It was an attitude of the Pharisees in Jesus' day. Um... What did he mean by keeping score? Um, Basically, they know the rules. They agree with what is righteous. But their performance of those righteous acts becomes bargaining power in their hearts with God. And this is a little bit more subtle one. Because this one you can do when you're doing good things, when you are serving the king, but it shows up for the wrong reasons. Sometimes it shows up as doing the right thing and serving someone just because it's the right thing and you don't want to be perceived from someone else as being in the wrong. So you're not going to do the right thing to serve them and to help them, but you're going to do the right thing so they know that you're right. <laughs> I've done that. Let me say that I've done all this. So Jesus said something um, to the Pharisees in Luke He was having dinner and the Pharisee was astonished to see he didn't wash before dinner. And the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you're full of greed and wickedness. You fools, did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But give as alms those things that are within and behold, everything is clean for you. And then he says this, but woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb. So he's basically saying you you believe the law to tithe, to give 10 percent to God. And so you do that so extremely that you tithe out of your spice drawer. That's pretty hardcore. I'm going to give God 10 percent of my Tony Shasheri's Cajun spice. Does anyone like that? Mm, I'm from I'm a southern boy. All right. You get that Cajun seasoning. I can't imagine giving God 10% of that. But if I took, he's saying, you take this, this instruction to tithe 
so seriously that you tithe even out of your spice drawer. And then he says, you neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. So basically he's saying, you're getting so focused on doing everything to the letter of the law that that action itself, doing right, becomes your relationship with God instead of actually having a relationship with God. Instead of actually sharing His love and having His justice at work in your life and in your heart, we get distracted. And in in this camp, a lot of times, when we find that we believe we can keep score with God, what happens is our service to God is what defines us. And I believe that if I do good enough, or if I do enough good, that that's going to add up. And if I keep myself from sinning maybe one, two, three days in a row, <laughs> or a week, or a month, if I keep myself from sinning that long, then then God's going to like me more. <laughs> right? Is Anyone been there? I, we don't say it. <laughs> but hopefully as I'm saying this, it's resonating in your hearts, because... Sometimes we get get that that idea. I'm a pretty good guy. You know, the church has really benefited from my service. And we start counting in our hearts with God, taking note of how many hours we spent helping someone that we didn't have to, or how much money we gave recently. Adding up righteousness points to our side of the scale. And it becomes more about what we can give to God's kingdom. And God's really lucky to have me as a servant. What we can offer Him instead of the immeasurable grace that He's given to us. And the problem with that is when life doesn't go our way, we're tempted to feel like we were robbed by God. What about all that that I did for you? What is our faith in? And here's the thing. I don't want to spend any more time on those two traps because the thing about that today is that it's slavery. The reason we hear servant and we think bad news is a lot of times we fall into those camps and our hearts are slaves to that. If you're in the king mindset, you're a slave to your many kingdom and it's you're going to be disappointed when people fail you or turn away. And one day you'll realize that your many kingdom is ultimately futile before God. If you're a scorekeeper, you're a constant slave to your own performance. And when you do really well, You're really stoked, and when you fail, you're crushed. But Jesus said, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. I'm here today with good news. I'm here today with good news. Being a servant of Jesus frees us from that slavery. It frees us of endlessly trying to keep score with God and always falling short. It frees us from wasting our lives to try to build our own kingdoms that will never last. You don't have to waste your life building your own kingdom that will be gone in 70 years. You can spend your life on the everlasting kingdom. That will reap everlasting benefits. You don't have to try to make others bow to your purposes and will. You can join others in bowing to the true king. You don't have to work your fingers to the bone trying to impress God. With your good works or trying to make him indebted to you. You can enjoy the fact that Jesus has already settled the score and thrown away the score sheet. Amen. It's good news. The more that we have faith in the gospel of Jesus, the more you will see yourself as a servant of Jesus and you'll know that it is good. We get to serve the only good king. Amen? So we talked about how we are servants of Jesus. And now I want to talk about how we have been served by Jesus. Because the reality is, Jesus, we have been served to be saved and now we are saved to be servants. The good news of your identity as a servant won't sink in until we see the dimensions and the depth to which Jesus served us. See, the Pharisees of that day, 
tried to keep score with God on their, based on their own righteousness and their own work. But that's not the gospel. The gospel is not that if we try hard enough, we can do it. The gospel is not try harder to serve. The gospel starts with this. We need God. We need God a lot. If we don't start with our need for God, it's not going to make much sense. If we think that we don't need Him as much as we do, we're not going to appreciate His grace as much as we should. Amen? Jesus said this in Mark 2.17, and I believe we have this one here. Um, It said, on hearing this, Jesus said to them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And he's not saying that some people are righteous on their own and they don't need me. He's saying some of us don't realize how much we need him. And if we don't realize how much we need him and admit how much we need him, he can't help us. How can a doctor help you if you won't go to the office, right? How can a doctor help you if you don't realize I'm sick? But the, the gospel is that we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God and that the wages of sin is death, but that the gift of God is eternal life. When we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely will one die for a righteous person. Though perhaps for a good person, one would even dare to die. But God shows His love toward us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. Amen? Ephesians 2. We all all know these verses. But Ephesians 2 says, And you were dead in the trespasses of your sins. We were dead in sin. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Amen? And raised up with Him and seated with Him in the heavenly places. God has served us so much. Jesus has served us so much. If you're here and you're in Christ today, you are not your own. You are bought with a price. The precious blood of Jesus Christ. God doesn't owe us anything, but we owe Him everything. Amen? I think when we see that, when we see how much we've been served by Jesus... That's when kings lay down their crowns and scorekeepers throw away their scorecards. That's when in our hearts, when we really see the chasm that was far too wide, that we could never make to the other side, but God's love for us in the middle of that. I was a scorekeeper. I say was. I am a scorekeeper. <laughs> that, that's that's more my tendency to um, to be on that side of the fence there. But I remember the first time I really saw grace for what it was, um, or a glimpse of it at least. Uh, I was in college and I was in a room with a few other friends, uh, Jason and Andrew, and we were reading a book that um, a pastor we knew had written and. And we had grown up as Christians, but we had also grown up in, in a, 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 a group that really focused on outward kind of appearance and the outward actions. And that that was what proved that you had a relationship with God. And so you could, if you were really good at it, you could kind of manage <laughs> how spiritual other people thought you were. Does that make sense? And I was really good at that. And um, I remember just 
we were reading through this book and we would kind of stop and pray and talk through it and all this stuff. And I just remember when, when God's grace washed over me in that moment. And I really saw like how all that stuff that I was doing for God, that didn't amount to anything compared to what he had done for me. And that all that stuff I thought I was doing for God or I was doing to make other people think I was good enough was really worthless in his eyes. And what he cared about is that he loved me so much. He loved me in spite of my sin to give himself for me. When I saw that and it didn't, it didn't rest on my performance, it washed over me. But then the first reaction I had was actually fear. Had a lot of fear. And you know why? It was because I knew I couldn't just rely on my good actions anymore. I knew that I couldn't just rely on making sure everyone else thought I had a relationship with God. (laughs) But that God really wanted to have a relationship with me. I knew it wasn't about what I could do for Him, but it was about when He poured out His blood instead of mine on the cross for my sins, that life was about trusting Him and not trusting Myself, And when we are forgiven much, we love much. Amen? When we see how we've been served by Jesus, it makes us want to serve others. I think of Scripture, Zacchaeus, in Scripture, he was a, he was a tax collector. Um, and tax collectors in, in that day um, in Israel were, were very hated because basically... They had to collect taxes from their people to pay to the Roman government who was oppressing them. But a lot of times they would be extremely wealthy and the way they would do it is they would charge way too much of the taxes. But they, they themselves were from Israel. So basically they turned their back on their families and friends to overcharge taxes and keep a lot of it for themselves. And so that's why they were hated. So everyone had to pay taxes, but they were paying too much to people who were supposed to be on their side. And so Zacchaeus was a tax collector and he, I can imagine, had built up his own mini kingdom from robbing to the poor and giving to the rich. It's like the reverse Robin Hood going on here. But when Jesus was walking through one day and, and Zacchaeus was a really short guy and he climbed up on the tree. If you ever went to Sunday school, you probably heard the song and the story. But Jesus looks at him. Seeing George sing. <laughs> I think he just sang it to himself. That was awesome. But Jesus looks up at him and says, and Jesus knows who he is. Jesus knows what he's done and says, I'm having dinner at your house today. Go get ready. Right? And Zacchaeus says in that moment, because he basically it's a symbol of Jesus accepting even him. I want to come into your home. I want to bless you. And when Zacchaeus saw that, he said, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, which he had. (laughs) If I have defrauded. (laughs) Still a little legal speak there. (laughs) If I've defrauded anyone of anything, he said this, I restore it fourfold. I restore it four times. We don't know this, but Zacchaeus may have bankrupted himself right there (laughs) by giving away half of everything he had. And then anyone he defrauded, I'm giving it back four times. I owe them four times what I took from them wrongly. And why did he do that? Because he saw that Jesus was willing to serve him. He was willing to lay aside his own kingdom. And that's not worth anything compared to Jesus' kingdom. Jesus serves us so that we can be saved and He has saved us to be servants in His kingdom. He's called us to that. And I think the first time you read that passage that we read earlier today, where, where the servant says, you know, the, the, the picture that Jesus gives is, if you have someone who's serving you, they're working for you, and they're out in the field, and then they come in, are you going to be like, hey, Sit down and let me cook for you. You're like halfway through your job. But sit down and let me cook for you. Relax. I'm paying you to sit there and eat. Let me serve you because I'm in charge. 
No. He said, and, and in that day, they're like, no, that would be ridiculous. What are you talking about? Wouldn't he, wouldn't he instead say, yeah, come on in and then get cleaned up, fix dinner, serve me, and then you'll be served. And he's making this point that, that when we're in his kingdom, the attitude in our hearts should be that we get to be a servant in the kingdom of Jesus. It shouldn't be, okay, did I do enough yet? Can I sit down and eat? <laughs> I think the kind of crazy thing about that example, just think if you're at work. There's a lot of, like, if I put, when I read that passage, I put myself as doing that in job, you know. So, say my boss asked me, hey, I need you to gather all this information and get together a report for me. All right, so I work two hours on it, and I come back to the office. I'm like, hey, I got that report ready. Um, so, if you could uh, just go make me some coffee real quick, maybe grab some donuts. I'm going to, and then I sat down in their chair, <laughs> you know, check some email on their computer. They come back in. Oh, Make sure the coffee's hot enough, all right? I don't know about you. That wouldn't fly in my office. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not going to try it either. But he's just saying, in the normal way of things, is that how it works? No. But there's this attitude, he says, the same way with you. When you've done all that you're commanded to do, say we are only unworthy servants. We've only done our duty. When we see what Jesus is willing to do for us, to serve us to his own death, it really gives us life. We really see the beauty in the fact that he's called us servants to live for his kingdom. Uh, Seventh grade. Seventh grade, I was uh, one of the best basketball players in my school. And... um, I lived in a town of 5,000 people, so that's not that great. But um, I was pretty stoked. Anyway, so seventh grade was the first year you could, like, be on a school team and, like, you know, have uniforms and all that stuff. And I remember in practice, our basketball coach was Coach Perry. He's probably, like, mid-30s or something. I don't know. When you're 12, you don't really know. Like, any anyone over 18, you don't know how old they are. And... Um, Anyways, I remember one day he was teaching us, you know, you always love to do the fun stuff like, you know, shoot the threes and jump shots and all that stuff, dribble in between your legs. That's what I teach people in recess. And um, But one day we went in for practice and Coach Perry says, all right, we're going to learn to sacrifice for the ball. And we're all like, huh? <laughs> it's like today we're going to do drills and we're going to, because a lot of times you're going to get out there on the team and the biggest thing is not going to be, your big play, but it's going to be, are you willing to sacrifice to keep the ball alive for the team, right? And so you guys ever watch basketball? You see when, when the ball is about to go out of bounds, people, like those guys are running for it. You know what I mean? And like if, if those are actually some of the really fun plays to watch because when they're diving for it and they knock over like three people who like paid 100000 for that seat right there on the court side. Well, so that's what we were going to practice. And, uh, and so... You know, we have the shorts and the tank tops, and he's saying, I'm going to throw the ball all the way down, and you're going to have to run all the way down the court, and I want you to dive for it. You can't pick it up. You have to dive for it before it gets to the other end of the court, right? You're going to learn to sacrifice for the ball. (laughs) And so, you know, I love basketball, but I didn't want to do that, you know? And he's building it up, and he's like, there's going to be blood. (laughs) You're going to have skin, knees, and elbows, but you need to learn to do this now so you're going to be willing to do it in the game. You've got to prove to me now that you're willing to do it. And so he's building it up so big, and then right before the end of it, he says, you know what? This is what we're going to be doing for drills today, but I'm not going to ask you to do anything that I'm not willing to do myself. And without a blink, he just throws the ball, runs over there, you know, guy in his mid-30s, jumps, dives, <laughs> skin everywhere (laughs) and catches the ball and I can't tell you how much that changed for me to see that he's calling me to do something that I don't want to do but he wouldn't do it without doing it himself 
In the same way, Christ is calling us to lay down our lives and to serve Him, to lay down our kingdoms, to lay down our scorekeeping, to serve Him with our very lives, to lay down our lives for other people. And yet, what does He do? He said, you guys need to do that because you need to do that. I'm going to be up here. Just go ahead and do that. No. He did it Himself. And He did it for us. Amen? Philippians chapter 2 is one of the clearest ways of saying this in Scripture. I think we have this up there. But it says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So this is yours. This is part of your identity in Christ Jesus. You can have this mindset. Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God something to be grasped. But he emptied himself. By what? Taking on the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus has served us even to death so that we could live. Isn't that amazing? Only when you see that can you rejoice when you're saying we are unworthy servants. Only when you see that can you really see that serving Jesus is not about try harder and do more. And do good works because they're good. But it's more about who we are in Christ. That He's our leader and He's who we're following and this is what He did. He showed us how to live. Serving Jesus is more about who we are than what we do. And when we see that, it becomes this good news. Our identity as servants becomes this gift, this thing that changes our perspective. And when we walk in it and when we're around it, it, it changes us. Only when we see how Jesus has served you can you say, we were served to be saved and are saved to be servants. I want to read uh, one last passage and we're wrapping up with this. It's from Luke chapter 22. And uh, the setting, uh, if you will, is the Last Supper, right? And um, Jesus has basically just introduced the idea of communion. He's just said, this is, take this bread, this is my body broken for you. Take this cup, this wine, this is my blood of the new covenant poured out for you. And we're going to be doing communion here in a minute. We're going to be taking part in that same thing. But Jesus has done this with the disciples. If you read the account in John, he's actually taken on the form of a servant and he's washed their feet here in the same sitting. And he knows that he's about to be crucified. And that's kind of the setting where we are. And just a couple verses later, I just think it's astonishing that Luke record this because it's right after he's introduced, this is my blood, this is the new covenant poured out for you. I'm laying down my life for you, right? And then we're going to start with Luke 22, verse 24. It says, a dispute also arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. Uh, adventures in missing the point. I love the disciples because they're such a good picture of my heart. So many times, I love making fun of the disciples because it helps me make fun of myself. It's in the middle of Jesus, who they followed for three years, doing miracles left and right, casting demons out, feeding 5,000 from like a sack lunch, teaching stuff they've never heard and it's just been exploding in their minds, the glory of God. And, and now he says, I'm going to lay down my life for you. And then they're like, so which is, who's greatest out of us 12? <laughs> I think it's me. 
Let's vote. (laughs) And so in the middle of this dispute, verse 25, and he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them. And those in authority over them are called benefactors. Benefactors is this, it's this whole phenomenon that was happening in the Greco-Roman world where basically if you wanted to come into more power and more political influence, you would fund public works. So you would have a park built in your name or something like that. And basically the more you did that, the more you were well known. And that was actually the way Julius Caesar came into power. He was a benefactor, right? The, the other side of that is that they were actually using money, kind of like the tax collectors that we talked about earlier. They were using money that they had cheated people out of to build stuff in their name. So it's basically, they were doing good stuff, but it was all inwardly motivated. Does that make sense? Jesus says, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors, but not so with you. It's not that way with you. You're not that way. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest and the leader as one who serves. Then he says this, for who is greater? The one who reclines at the table or one who serves? You would think the one who reclines at the table, right? And that's what he says. Is it not the one who reclines at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. Amen. I am among you as one who serves. I love how he just leads them through this. Who is greater? And you and they would think the one who's sitting at the table, not the one who's serving. But at the same time, they know that he's greater. They're having this dispute who's greatest among themselves, but there's no dispute in their mind. He's the greatest. And what is he doing? He's serving us. Why is he doing that? Because that's true life. True, he's showing us how to live true life. Not to seek our own kingdoms and lord it over other people. Not to be benefactors and do all the right things for the wrong reasons. And gain a good reputation of doing good. But to serve because he has served us. It's truly the best life. What if that was the culture of this church? The title for today is We Are Servants. What if that became more than just a part of the basic series that we go through every year? And that really became part of my identity. I really latched onto that. And said, you know what? It may sound kind of weird and it sounds off and it sounds something like different than the voices I've heard in the world. But if Jesus says it, I'm going to have faith. In what he says, I'm going to take the little faith like a mustard seed and put it to work. I'm going to believe that I am a servant, an unworthy servant in his kingdom. What if that was the prevailing culture of the way we look toward each other? I'm going to open open that up real quick. What what do you think would happen? What would it look like? What are some things that would happen? What what would we see? Okay. What about here in this church? That was the primary culture. If we primarily saw ourselves, we are servants of Jesus. Sent to serve others. Yeah. Jesus says that's a sign. (laughs) Give to those who can't pay you back. What else? To be content. Yeah. We wouldn't live as if God owes us something for the way we're living. <laughs> uh, anything else? Yeah. Looking for ways to serve. I want to tell you guys this. I've seen... Glimpses of that in our culture. I've seen that in New City already. I've seen 
I've seen people reach out and pay other people's rent. I've seen whole communities go. We just last week, our community went and served at someone else's funeral that we didn't know anyone there. I've seen people wrap Christmas gifts for kids whose families are living in their cars and they're not going to have a Christmas. I've seen gospel community leaders and, and the other elders here who aren't in it for themselves and not what they can get, but they lay down their lives and their schedules and their finances for the good of others. I've seen people cook for each other, clean for each other, provide child care for each other and look to the needs of others. We were served to be saved and we are saved to be servants. If the culture of our church was so affected by the gospel of Jesus and how much he has served us, we could truly and gladly say in our hearts, I'm an unworthy servant in the kingdom of Jesus and I don't deserve to even be here. And the best I can even do is my duty. But God doesn't owe me anything and I owe him my entire life. Amen. All right, we're going to take communion. The musicians are going to come up here and I'm going to pray. And uh, as I do pray, I want you to be praying as well. And uh, during the time for communion and response to the word, I want to charge you really to do three things. And uh, the first one is to ask yourself, do I need to repent? Do I need to repent? Am I a king with a mini kingdom or am I a scorekeeper? Have I been believing that my identity as a servant in Jesus kingdom is bad news and is something to kind of just do when I have time? Or have I been believing that that is good news and that he's called me to that? That's the first thing. Do I need to repent? Secondly, I want to charge you to worship God. To remind yourself of how good a king Jesus is that... He's the only king that I know of that would serve his people even to death. That would lead a life of service. And even in his death, it's an act of service to his servants. How good of a king Jesus is. I want to charge you to worship him in that. And then thirdly, I want you to prayerfully consider how you can serve Jesus by serving others. How you can, maybe as a gospel community, as you're doing communion, you can make plans to make room in your lives to serve others together and to live out this beautiful identity. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for uh, the time today and your word. I thank you that um, you have blessed us so much and and poured your love into our lives, God. I thank you for the beauty of, of... of this identity in Christ that you've given us, Lord, that we get to be servants for you. And Lord, I confess there's so many times in my life that I don't, I don't live in that reality. I, I'm busy living in some other reality. God, and I turn that over and I pray that this would be a time, just in this time of response to your word, that this really would be a time of us laying aside the things that keep us from true life and serving you. And, uh, God, I just I speak that into the culture of New City, and we ask that uh, you would help us to really grasp hold of this in Jesus' name. Amen.